It's time now for the Pulpit Hour, featuring some of God's choice preachers. Stay tuned at the end of today's message for information on how you can obtain a copy of today's sermon. Bibles, if you would please, and turn to Genesis chapter number one. Genesis chapter number one. The celebration of Christmas is centered around the birth of Jesus Christ, and we celebrate the fact that God came down. But I think sometimes we lose sight of the reasoning behind this. He was God in the Godhead in eternity, enjoying the good things of heaven the good things of all that was there in the spirit realm, why would he choose to come down into the womb of Mary? What a major step downward from where he is to where he ends up. Christmas is just the beginning of a wonderful set of events that God planned in eternity past. Why did he do it? Well, there are other questions. Did he really need to come? What was the purpose for his coming? Well, in this series of unusual Christmas messages, we're just going to look at the big picture of God's amazing grace. This overview is an overview of God's redemptive plan. You see, back in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1, in verse number 3, we find out that the gospel, the plan of salvation, was planned in eternity past by God himself and was carried out by his son, Jesus Christ, and was sealed by the Holy Spirit. So we are going to look at Genesis 1-1, the first in the beginning, and end up in John 1-1, the second in the beginning, and between those two points show you that from the very first chapters of Genesis to the very end of Revelation, every scripture gives some kind of light or picture of some part of the total events from creation to the second time he judges the earth, the first time by the flood, the second time coming by fire, that all things God shows is to give light to his great plan of salvation. We're going to do this in five parts. This morning, we're going to deal with the creator and his creation. Then on tonight, we're going to deal with the condemnation and its consequences over in Genesis chapter number 3. Then we're going to look at the creator and his compassion. And we're going to look at the very first promise of the coming Christ and show you the entire realm through the names of Genesis 5. Then we're going to deal with next Sunday on the Christ and his compassion, or the creator and his compassion. Then we will deal with the Christ and his coming and end up with the Christ and his cross. We're looking now at the creator and his creation. In Genesis chapter 1, 
And beginning in verse number one, we have the great verse that so many of us know. In the beginning, God created the heavens or the heaven and the earth. We see that it begins with a preposition in the beginning. That's a prepositional phrase. The subject of this sentence is God. The verb is created. So God created the heaven and the earth, and he did so in the beginning. So let's look at this dispensation or this time factor of the creation. It was in the beginning. That denotes a first point, an originating event. And it's first in time, place, and rank. Therefore, this is a very important event. It's not the beginning of eternity. It does not start out and say, in the beginning, God came into existence. It does not say, in the beginning, Christ came into existence. It's not even trying to define Christ or God or the Holy Spirit. It's giving nothing to the skeptics to look at. It's just, there he is, and there he has always been, and there he will always be. What happened at this beginning point is God created God created the heaven and earth in the beginning. There was an origination to creation. So we see that this originating event is something that God set into motion. God has a plan to redeem man, and he hasn't even created the planets yet. He hasn't created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He is now going to set in motion all the things that it takes for the big picture to come to fruition. And when it's all said and done, the big picture will end up with the bride of Christ. It'll end up with Old Testament saints. It'll also end up with those who die without Christ and end up in a crisis eternity. In the beginning, God created. Then I want to look at the deity of this creator. The deity. In the beginning, God. Elohim. This is a powerful word. For the word has the idea of, especially in the root form, L, of strong, mighty. And that's why we always say in Elohim, the creator God. The power that was able to create is incredible. And we see that it's a plural word. Elohim is a plural word. Now that's interesting because we're going to see in chapter number two, let us make man in our image. Well, who's the us? Well, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We know that because we've studied the rest of the Bible and we've been given more light. But the very first word for God is Elohim, which is plural. But it is very interesting to note that the verb created is singular. And anytime this word is used for God in the Godhead, Elohim is followed by a singular verb. It's not in the beginning, you, me, and I were the creators of. It's in the beginning, Elohim, a plural word, singularly created. That's why Creation is ascribed to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost because they are the Trinity three in one, and they are one in three. Someone has said many times, explain that. You know, you can come up with every kind of illustration you want to, but you will never explain it in the sense that our mind can understand it. God is so God that there are things we're never going to totally understand till we get to their side of heaven. 
But nonetheless, God is three in one and one in three, and it's seen clearly, clearly in the Gospels. One day, Jesus is baptized, and God says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him as the Spirit descends as a dove, and Jesus is there being baptized. We see it very, very clearly. Yet Jesus said, I and my Father are one. If you want to note something interesting in the Gospels, you will find that the reason why they were angry at him and the reason why they got upset at him and the reason why they were picking up stones to stone him is because he being a man claimed to be God. They understood what he was saying and they didn't like what he was saying and they didn't want to believe what he was saying. This is creator God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There it is. He put things into motion. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, I want you to notice something, because this is the big picture. We're not going to be able to hit every single verse, but it's trying to give the big picture. And isn't it interesting that in God's creation, he started with the heaven and earth, and it was without form and void, and there's darkness. My friend, that's exactly where the creation story should start because the salvation story starts there. My need of him. I am in darkness. As a sinner who does not know Christ as my personal Savior, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I need light. I need someone to come and show me my need, and then I need someone to show me how I get that need met. I need light. And isn't it interesting, in the very first chapter, in the first two verses, God creates the heaven and the earth, and there's darkness, and then God speaks in his creative voice. And what does he say first? Let there be be light and there was light the very first spoken word of creation that we see in verse 3 is light and God saw the light in verse 4 that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness and there is a very vast unique difference between light and darkness and God knew that the world in darkness would need the light. And God saw the light. He said it was good. He's giving us right out of the box, right in the first book that we have in our Bible, Genesis, the first 11 chapters, the most critical, critical chapters explaining the creation. Chapter 1 telling what God said in chapter 2, giving us more details, including our arrival as man. God said, let there be light. We see not only the deity of the creator, but in his command, let there be light, the dunamis of the creator. The word dunamis is a Greek word that means power. The extreme power, he just speaks. And all through the rest, he just speaks. Let there be and there was, and God saw it was good. The creation 
is interesting all in all its aspects, but for this big picture, it's just interesting to me that the first time he spoke, the world was in darkness, and God spoke, let there be light. Now he's going to continue to give light from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And my friends, you can't get to the end of the book and say you didn't get enough light. We who have the entire word of God are in more trouble than anyone else because we've had more light. Jesus said it was going to be worse on them in his day than for those in Sodom and Gomorrah because they had more light. Then we see the declaration of the creator. Let there be and there was. But I got to tell you something, folks, and you better get hold of this. This is not the sun or the moon or the stars. They didn't get created on that first day. They come later on down about day three. This is the light of God. This isn't the light that lights the moon, sun, moon, and stars. This is the light of God. God has always given light. It's kind of funny because the word divided means separated. There has to be a separation between light and darkness. In fact, darkness is absence of light, but light is not absence of darkness. When light shows up, darkness has to leave. Darkness cannot overcome light. And when we get over into John 1.1, we'll deal more with that because there's a great verse there that talks about that. But as we look at our Bible, we see that light is very important. In fact, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to John's Gospel, chapter number 12. John's Gospel, chapter number 12. And we're going to look down in verse number 35. John's Gospel, chapter number 12. Look with me, please, at verse 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Jesus is talking to the people. The people are trying to find out what he's all about. And Jesus is telling them, you have light walking among you. He's referring to himself. You only have me walking around here for a little while. You better get the light and not walk in the darkness. If you go drop down to verse number 46, it says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. The word abide means remain or continue in darkness. He made it very clear at the end, he is the light. Verse 44, Jesus cried and said, he that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that sent me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And we're going to pick up there in verse number 6. 
2 Corinthians chapter number 4, and we're going to look at verse number 6. And it would help if I would get into 2 Corinthians and not 1 Corinthians. All right. Are you with me? Here we go. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The Bible says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have the light. You and I who are Christians, we carry the light. Jesus is in us. Let him shine. I don't know why we relegate certain songs to kids' songs and think they're only good for kids. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's what you need to do, Christian. We have the light of Christ. We are the lampstand. He is the light source. Let him shine. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. Boy, I tell you, for the day and hour that you and I are living in, this is some powerful verses we need to get hold of. Because he says, and that knowing the time, in verse 11, Romans 13, verse 11, and that knowing the time, be cognizant, be totally aware, and perceive the time that we're in. That now it is high time. What? To awake out of sleep. To rouse yourself up. To collect your faculties. To wipe the sleep out of your eyes and the sluggishness of your spiritual life. Get up spiritually. Why? For now, right now, today, now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. And my friend, that's true. Every day you wake up, you're a day closer. You're a day closer to going home. Now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Our deliverance out of this world. But look what he says. The night is far spent. The night is far spent. It's increased in time. The day is at hand. It's getting close. We've got to be careful. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. The armor that God tells us defends us as we Go forth in battle is also an armor of light. We need to put on that armor of light. And let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness. Not in chambering. That's an in, interesting word that has the idea of cohabitation. Hmm? Not in wantonness. Not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The light. You get the idea there's an importance of the light? Turn with me please to Ephesians chapter number 4. Don't ever forget the purpose of this Bible is to give light. 
There are so many folks that don't read their Bible that go to church every once in a while. They may say, I'll be faithful on one service a week. They don't have devotions. They don't have their own study time. They don't meditate on the things of God. And yet this Bible is given light. If you look at Psalm 119, you will find multiple verses that say things like this. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you want to walk the walk you're supposed to walk, get in the word of God. It will light the next step. And the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in them. The light in Ephesians in chapter number four, look at verse number 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that she henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity or the emptiness of their mind, they were very big on the fact that they had high intellect and they enjoyed debating and arguing things. That's one of the specialties that the Greeks had. They were philosophers and they loved to do that. And he said, don't do that with the emptiness of your mind. They have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over that is a sad word especially when you go back to romans 1 and see they god gave them up gave them up and gave them over because they gave themselves over to these wicked wicked things look what it says who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness this is all these sexual, impure, horrible sins with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the former behavior, lifestyle, or conduct. The old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness we need light in chapter 5 he goes on and talks some more about the light he says in verse number 6 let no man deceive you with vain words empty words for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience be not ye partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk like a child that has light. Walk as children of light. Why? For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no, zero, nada, none, just in case you don't understand plain English, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Why? For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest 
by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Light. Are you getting the idea of how important it is? God gave us light. You who have trusted Christ as Savior did so because he shined the light of conviction in your heart and you responded to that conviction and were saved. Now walk like you have the light in you. For the light is the light that people will see. God has chosen to spread his word through the light of his word and the light carriers are you and I who know Jesus Christ. I heard somebody preach one time and he said this, there are two reasons why people won't become Christians, why they won't get saved. He said, first of all, they've never seen a Christian, so they have no idea what a Christian is. He said, number two, they have. Now, isn't that a sad commentary? They've seen Christians and they've not seen anything but darkness. They go about and say, why do I need your God? You panic like I panic. You get angry like I get angry. You get frustrated like I get frustrated. You curse like I curse. When things don't go well, you'd have temper tantrums and you get all frustrated and you get even. You don't have anything that shows I've seen you sad and mad and upset. Anything but joy in the Lord, my friend. You better let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew chapter number 5. That's what we're supposed to do. Let the light shine. And if we'll let his light shine through us, they will see our good works. Oh, that's, that's being cocky, isn't it? No, because the Bible says they'll see your good works and they'll give glory to God because they know it couldn't be from you. They know it has to be from God. We look over the first Peter chapter number 2. And we drop down to verse number nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. His marvelous light. Just a few books later in 1 John chapter number one, we see these wonderful words, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, you know, John saw him. John touched him. John was there with him, leaning on his bosom. John knows what he's talking about here. And John calls him the word of life, capital W. For the life was manifested or made known, and we have seen it. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto you. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
John says, I've got something I got to tell you. I saw him. I walked with him. I touched him. I leaned on his breast and heard every word. He's God. He manifested himself. He gave me light. I know who he is. And he whom I saw, he whom I heard, he whom I had the privilege to be with and lean on his breast, I'm declaring him unto you. I'm taking the light that was given to me and I'm shining the light unto you. Do you get it, folks? Do you get it? The big picture of Christmas is not just a baby in a manger. The big picture is a baby who got there on purpose, who willingly stepped out of the glory world, who according to Philippians chapter number 2, humbled himself and went to the cross and was obedient so he could walk our path that we deserved and nail our sins to the cross and bleed because of us. There he gave us the light. And when the light came and you and I got saved, he told us to carry the light. John goes on and says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Oh, I mean, that word means crammed to the top and overflowing. This then is the message. Okay, John, tell us. What is it? This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all now i know people say that bible's hard to understand but my friend that's so plain it's not even funny this is the declaration this is what i'm declaring john said i was with him he's light and god has zero not a none no darkness in him at all. Now look what he does, folks. Christians, listen. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. The word walk has the idea every place you go, you're in darkness. You can't spend your whole entire life in darkness and say that you had the light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of jesus christ his son cleanses us from all sin did you get it did you get it you can't even fellowship one with another you cannot fellowship with another christian and get along like you're supposed to if you're in darkness you're going to have to get in the light before you can get yourself related rightly with people that are alongside of you. You're going to have to be right with God Almighty. That's why in that same chapter he said, if we say we have no sin, we lie and we make him a liar and we're not doing the truth. And in that verse between 8 and 10 where he talks about us saying we're not sin is no big deal he says it is you're making him a liar in the middle of that verse 9 he says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness the word confess there literally means to agree with God I've had people say to me preacher why do I have to tell God what my sin was he's God he knows what my sin is, and it's under the blood. Why do I have to confess my sin? 
because the word means to agree with God. God knows what you did, but he wants you to own what you did. So what he's wanting you to do is not say, okay, Lord, forgive me for my sins. But he's wanting you to say, Lord, when I cussed, I sinned. I agree with you. It's sin. When I had that dirty thought, when I saw that wicked picture, when I had that mad, angry outburst, when I hurt that person's feelings, and I went to a place that you specifically convicted me not to go, when I put my Bible down, when you told me it was time to get in the Word, and I said, no devotions today, when you told me to pray for somebody and I refused to do it and I knew you told me to do it. When I did, you specifically name it and you let God know, you know what you did is sin and you name it sin. Now, friend, I'm going to tell you how important that is because we're living in a day and age where everybody has an excuse for why they did what they did. There is a reason. They were under stress. They were under pressure. There was too much peer pressure. There was a problem. They didn't have this or that or they didn't eat breakfast or whatever. But God says, no, no, no. You got to own it. And if you want to have the sweet fellowship, see, if you're a real Christian and you really know Christ as Savior, when you sin, it messes up the fellowship just like it did when my dad or my mom would discipline me. And there was that kind of a strainness between us. The, the relationship strain. They're upset. They have discipline. I'm not happy that they discipline. But oh, when I say, oh, dad, oh, mom, I have sinned against your words. You said, I knew what you told me to do. I did it on purpose. And it's my fault. And I am so sorry. And then they would hug me and forgive me. Throughout that whole ordeal, I was still their son. But there was a strained relationship. But oh, at the end of that, when the hugs came, and there was that tender time again, and now you can go back and approach mom and dad without fear, without wonderment of what's going to happen, without seeing that disappointed look, without seeing that angry look or upset look hallelujah it's back to the way it should be and that's exactly what God wants he wants you and I to stay in a right relationship with him so we can have fellowship and walk in the light why is it important to walk in the light because others will see it light makes darkness retreat darkness can't stay around light so people who are around you when you're shining the light will either have to deal with the light they're being given or retreat to get away from the light. The very first thing God did is he said, let there be light after he created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, there he is, God. No explanation for how he got there, just eternally existent. And he is a plural God with a singular verb. Therefore, that's one in three and three in one. And they are there creating light and the firmament and the, the waters and the sun and the moon and the stars and the grass and the herb and the seed and all of these fish in the sea and the lights in the firmament and all of this. And then he turns over and he says, let us make man in our image. In chapter number one, verse 26, there we see the molding and shaping of man in the image of God and the likeness. 
Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You get to chapter number two, and we get a little bit more detailed explanation. And we find that it wasn't good that man be alone. God created a helpmeet. He made one just perfect for Adam. And I believe with all my heart, and I will always believe with all my heart, that God had the perfect one for me. And I was one who was on the dating scene back in high school. And, and I watched how people treated each other. And I finally got the idea, you know what? The way they treat each other when they're dating, there's something wrong with this. And I remember praying the prayer one day, Lord, I'm not looking anymore. You bring the one you want and you dump her in my lap and I'll marry her. And that is literally the way it happened because she tripped when I was being introduced to her and she tripped and fell in my lap. And I said, okay, that's the one. And we had a long distance courtship because she lived in Chicago and I lived in Fort Lauderdale area and we had our courtship over the phone where we really got to know each other and God brought her into my life and now 32 years later God has showed me over and over and over again I got the one he planned the help me he wanted the one he had in mind and I'm telling you if you want to have a marriage that's awesome and lasts both parties ask for God to bring them together and live under the light and see God shining at the right time live in the light God made this woman who is now going to play very significantly into our second part when we come back from the big picture and we look at the second part of this, which is the condemnation and its consequences, the horror of the fall, which is the reason why God created the plan of salvation in the first place and brought the light and Adam understood the light. And we'll see more about that when we come back tonight, that Adam understood the light and yet there was a problem. There was a wicked one. The devil who overtakes the serpent comes and beguiles the woman. And we find a disaster by the time it's done. But it ends once again with God's amazing grace. Now listen, folks. As we close this beginning message of this overview of the fact that in the beginning God created. There was a creation event that was at a set time. And all three parts of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost were there. And he created the heaven and the earth, and there was darkness, and there was void. And it was just exactly a picture of the way man would be at the fall. And God said, let there be light. First thing he did is he brought light. Not the sun, moon, and stars, the light of God. We've seen through all these verses the need for the light. Tonight, we're going to see why the need for the light, because in this same beginning chapters, those important chapters of Genesis 1 through 11, man fails to keep his responsibility and sins. And God has to step in and tell him about the light that is coming. 
the light of the Messiah. And he will shed light on that all the way through the Old Testament till one day John will stand up, John the Baptist, and say, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John will say, I'm not the light. I'm here to bear witness of the light. And now that I'm a saved person because I received the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, thank God, thank God, thank God for that day I got the light and saw the light and responded to the convictingness of the Holy Spirit when that light was shown. Now I am to shine that light so that others may see Christ. I am to walk in the light so that others will have nothing to point at me. Like Paul said, he wanted to be blameless and walk as perfect. He said, not that I've already attained, but he was working hard after it. Paul wanted to live as close and as clean to the Lord as he could. And I think it would just be befitting before we close this service to be reminded of a great, great hymn. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Oh, Lord, let me walk close to thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. I like this part. Daily walking close to thee. That's what we need, folks. Daily walking so close to the light source. That we radiate him out. Daily walking close to thee. Dear Lord let it be. Let it be. And I remember and I know sometimes I say this. In, uh, in, in chapels and some Christian schools. And I'll have young people say. Oh come on that can't be true. And it's sad that they've never seen it. But as a young teenager who got saved. In a church down in South Florida. That night I got the glorious awakening when the light shone in my heart and the Holy Ghost pierced into me and said, that's you. You're the one going to hell. You're the one that needs the Savior. And I got gloriously saved that night. And I started attending that church. And it would be, to be testimony time. And some of the dear saints of God, especially those that had walked with him 20, 25, 30 years, would stand up and begin to testify what great things God had done. And I would look at their faces and there would be a glow that would radiate off of them. And that glow would permeate the service. And I used to think, oh my soul, they've checked out into another world. I didn't see that for a while. And then we had a revival. And I mean a real revival. An old-fashioned people getting right with God revival. People going all over the church there in Lakeland, Florida. And they began to hug one another. And publicly in front of the whole church asked people to forgive them for the way they had treated them and what they'd said about them. And at the end of that glorious day, two services, one service lasted for six hours. I preached two hours and 15 minutes of it. There was singing, but the rest of it was invitation. There was some three hours plus of invitation. Services started at six Calls are coming in at midnight. My loved one didn't make it home. No, we're still at church. The light got through. 
And then we started coming to church after that great Sunday and people would be talking just normal conversation. But oh, I saw the glow again. They radiated the glow and glory of God. And then I remember when we first moved up into the mountains of western North Carolina and we went to church our first Sunday up in Asheville. And I remember a wonderful man of God that you all in the mountains had known for years and years and years. It was my first ever seeing him in person, hearing him in person, or even knowing who he was. This dear man was Ralph Sexton Sr. And he began to pray. And as he prayed, the glow came in. And I looked and I said, he's left the building. He's checked into a different world. He's touched the throne room of God. That's why the Bible says, let us come boldly, therefore, before the throne of God, the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Touch the throne room of God. You have access as a Christian. Stay so close that when people look at you and watch you and see you, they see you radiate the love and the glow and the glory of God. And they'll see your good works and glorify your Father. And they will eventually have to retreat because they can't stand it and have to go back into the darkness. Or they will have to give in because the Spirit of God's convicting and they just can't take it anymore. Will you shine your light? And as the song says, let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine all the time. Let it shine. Our Father, we pray in this church service this morning. We pray, Lord, that the light has been penetrating the hearts and lives of so many people. First, for anyone that's lost, they have no light. They've been living in darkness, and this might be the first time they've ever had the light shine on them. And if you are convicting anyone right now, you are shining the light and they are being convicted. Don't let them leave this place before they get their lives in tune with you. Through what you did for them at Calvary, may they trust the shed blood of Christ on Calvary's cross as the penalty and payment for their sins. And I pray, Lord, for those who are here in this place and they're Christians, but they're not letting the light of Christ shine through them like they used to. They're not even sure that they're even anywhere close to him like they used to be. They know they've drifted far, far away and they're in trouble. May the light you've given them today be a light that draws them back to the source so close, just a closer walk and leave here determined at the end of 2011, ready to go into 2012. I will walk in the light. I will walk and work and talk and live in the light, the glorious light of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that in the beginning when you created and there was that darkness, thank you, you spoke light. 
Thank you, Lord, when I was walking around in darkness that Tuesday night in 1970, you spoke light. And I pray people will mind the Spirit of God this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. That concludes our Pulpit Hour message for today. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, you can call our studios at 828-884-9427 or write to us at WGCR 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. You can also hear today's message on our website at WGCR.net. The Pulpit Hour is brought to you by Anchor Broadcasting.